morning. Um, I'm very excited to preach the Word of God to you, hopefully not at you, <laughs> preferably with you. Um, and we're starting this series on joy. And we're going to start, like any good sermon series should, with a definition of joy. Um, oftentimes we can get mixed up in our defining of words of abstract things because we get mixed up with the result of joy and what joy actually is. So let's take another word. Let's take the word fever. And I don't mean fever. I mean, no, fever. A real fever. Not insatiable love. Um, an ill definition, a bad definition of fever might be you get really hot and sweaty and you get sick and it just, it's just not good and then your whole family gets sweaty and it probably started with your kid but you don't know for sure because there were other kids at that birthday party and who knows how it started. No, that's not a fever. That's what a fever causes. A fever is your body's defense against an infection, right? That is what the fever actually is. And we like to do that with joy. We like to say joy is unending happiness. Joy is like this, this positivity that Christians have. Joy is, um, joy in Jesus like never ends, will never run out. And my honest and humble, emphasis humble, because Jason's probably going to come up next week and totally say something different. <laughs> my humble opinion is that that is not a good way to look at and define joy. Those are the effects of joy. But joy itself, it's trust. It's trusting God and His promises that, that changes your outlook, that changes your attitude, that changes your mentality, and it can even change your emotions. So joy, that trusting in Jesus so much, that that deep trust, the results of it are that happiness, that optimism, that zeal for life. <laughs> I was talking with my girlfriend, um, we're long distance, so we talk on Skype a lot, and I was just having a depressing night, because I'm a simple person, and I'm dating a nice and sweet lady, <laughs> and in my sinfulness, I can hurt her every once in a while, and she had forgiven me, but um, I still felt so down, my joy was robbed, and then this one little thing helped me get through that, and it was the idea of, this isn't over yet, this isn't the end of my story. And we can have a whole message on that. But that trust in the truth of Jesus' word that the rest of my life will be spent walking with him in holiness. Yes, sin will be a reality of my life, but that doesn't define me. Christ defines me. That little, little nugget of truth provided me with joy. And all of a sudden I went from, hey, yeah, hon, I love you too. Thanks for forgiving me too. Woo! <laughs> this is not the end of my story. You may have experienced that. A little moment of trust. That resulted in happiness, positivity, optimism. Who knows what else, how your joy may express. You may dance. You may cry. All kinds of things may happen. But we're talking about joy as a trust that changes our attitudes, outlooks, and emotions. And hopefully this position of this mic that is driving me nuts. Aha, I got it. We're also talking about suffering. Today we're talking about joy in the midst of suffering. We, we don't need a definition for suffering, amen? <laughs> Many of us are well acquainted with suffering. 
See, in, in joy, life looks like it's just this massive win. Just this win-win for everyone involved. But suffering turns our life into this lose-lose scenario. The definition of a tragedy, as told by my film professor in high school, <laughs> college, was a tragedy is a story where everyone loses. Tragedy is a story where everyone loses. And I bet every one of us has had some tragedy in our life, some suffering, and you might be going through it now. Here's the deal, though. We're talking about, because we see in the Bible, joy in suffering. The win-win mentality in a lose-lose situation. Okay? And we're going to explore that. And there are so many different options we could go. There's so many different ways we could go with our scripture today. But I'm going to be picky and just ask a single question. And after I ask this question, I'm going to pray, but the message isn't over. I'm sorry you're not that lucky. <laughs> um, I'm going to pray because the answer to this complicated question is very simple. And sometimes we like to ignore the simple answers. So the, so the question we're asking today is, how can we maintain our joy, our trust in Jesus in the midst of suffering? Join with me in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the honor and privilege of preaching your word, of speaking to these people, of using the time that I've spent in your word and processing it to give them some sort of fruit, a product of um, just your gifts, your holiness and your goodness. Lord Jesus, I just pray that our hearts be prepared for just your message and what you want to tell us through what you told Paul thousands of years ago. Father, I bind and banish the evil one out of this room, out of my heart, and out of every single person's heart this day. I consecrate this time for you and your spirit. And I ask that you would move mightily. And I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So the question is, how can we maintain our joy in suffering? How can we maintain the win-win trusting God in a lose-lose situation? And the answer is this. It's very, very simple. We train ourselves to trust in God's deliverance. That's it. We train ourselves, and God trains us. Don't mistake me. This is a partnership with him. We, we are trained to trust in his deliverance, and I'll get into that more. But for now, I want to go into the scripture, because we're going to take a look at a picture of Paul in the midst of his chains and his suffering. He was imprisoned, probably in Rome, for preaching the gospel, and in the midst of his imprisonment, a few things happened. One, he was surrounded by palace guards day and night. Two, people outside the church were a little bit bewildered because they didn't know what to do because their top dog was in jail. Three, other Christians saw Paul as competition and they began preaching the gospel more and more fervently, but not out of the good nature, but because they were like, oh, Paul's down. Let's knock him lies down and let's start preaching the gospel even more, winning more converts since he's absent. So Paul has, and, oh, not to mention, 
Paul's imprisonment meant that either he was going to live in torture and chains for a long time, or he's going to be executed whenever he got to Rome. So, yeah, it's a lose situation. <laughs> so, I'm going to read the scripture out loud, and um, just please just really focus in your hearts on just hearing what God has to say through his servant thousands of years ago. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I had to do that. I had to stick the word joy in there. <laughs> yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart. Paul is saying right here, I want to die. And not in some hopeless, suicidal way but in a way that is hopeful for the promises of Christ. Mm -hmm. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus, my translation says your joy in Christ Jesus, <laughs> will abound on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, that was a lot of scripture, but let's break it down. Paul is saying, I'm between a rock and a hard place. But because of faith in Jesus Christ, that's not a bad thing. I could be executed, and then I would be with Jesus. I could live, though I be tortured, persecuted by the Jews and Romans, never welcome in Jerusalem again, and a target for other Christians, at least I will be able to work for Jesus. His trust in God turns the lose-lose into a win-win. And that gives him joy. But here's the thing. Raise your hand if you've ever been thrown in prison because you were preaching the gospel. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. <laughs> Most of us have lived in America for most of our lives. Here's the deal. Sometimes when we read these stories, and they're not stories, they happened. 
But sometimes when we read these accounts, we look at their situation, we say, well, his context is different than mine, so this, this doesn't apply. Paul's win-win is different. Paul's lose-lose is different. So this just doesn't apply. And I want to lovingly rebuke that mentality with you today. I want to tell you a story about my time in Chicago. I was notoriously late to work every day. <laughs> I'm not anymore because I live with Matt. And he's like, Josh, wake up. <laughs> um, I had to be at work every day and I'd show up one minute late, two minutes late. Never later than that. <laughs> and Pastor Chris, my pastor, my boss, was the most punctual person alive. And every day when I would leave, work with him, um, he would say, have a good day, Josh. See you tomorrow, 8 a.m. sharp. It was like it's a mutual joke. We both know it would never happen. But we both hoped it would really bad. So one morning, I'm driving into work. I'm speeding through the Burger King parking lot because it's a shortcut. And I, I'm like, and I'm like, no, I didn't run into anyone. But I sure wish I could have. My car's not quite big enough for that. Um, and I saw that his car wasn't there. And I said, Yes! Yes! He's hanging out with his wife, Joyce, or has to walk the dog, or has a meeting, and he will never know I'm late. He would know I was late. I go in, and long story short, the reason why Pastor Chris wasn't there that day was because while he was working out that morning at 5.30, he had a heart attack. And he died. It hit me like that too. <laughs> the autopsy report weeks later said the only way he would have survived, because it was a mutation in his heart, the only way he would have survived is if he had had the attack while he was lying on a surgeon's table with a cardiovascular surgeon ready to operate. Later that day, I went to um, his house, where his wife and his three kids, one daughter, two men, grown with their own children. And the two guys had drifted away from Christ, and one really just didn't believe it all anymore. It was a very tragic story. His wife was there, Joyce. I knew Joyce. I liked Joyce a lot. But I was terrified of what she might say. What, 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 do, you, what do you do? What, what do you say? How do you comfort a person who yesterday had a husband and now they don't? Who had just paid off a trip to Alaska with their husband and now they don't? Who was going to retire later that year and get in an RV and travel the country with their husband, and now they don't. Whose son, their, her grandson, was going to be baptized later that month, and now he isn't, because her husband was going to do it. What do you say? How do you comfort I walked up to Joyce, gave her a big old hug. <laughs> if you knew Joyce, then this would be funny. I didn't even have a chance to talk. <laughs> um, she said... Uh, it feels like I'm watching 
a movie about someone else's life. That was the first thing she said. The second thing she said was that I know that God took my husband home. And the third thing she said was what has happened to me will turn out for my good. That is the third thing she said after her husband died. A few months later, she kept on saying that. I visit her about once a week. She always said that. What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Everything that has happened to me will turn out for my good. God is working this for my good. God took my husband home for my good. But a few months later, Pastor Chris's death had brought Joyce and her family tightly together in a way that they had never been before. And her son, to connect with his mother, started taking her to church on Sundays. And started being more open to talking about the comforts that only God can bring to those who are suffering. And so then she said something else. She said, what has happened to me is serving to advance the gospel to my son. And Chris would have been so happy to know that. And he will be. Whenever we get up there and we tell him, hey, this is what happened. <laughs> Months later, I'm here talking to you, encouraging your faith with this story about a woman who clinged, clung onto God's promises no matter what limits of tragedy. And it supplied her with a little bit of joy. So I tell you, I ask you again, does this scripture and scriptures like it? Are they really that far from our situation today? What does Paul say? What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. What has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. And what has happened to me is actually being used to encourage your faith so that you may preach the gospel even more fervently. You may not go through a tragedy like Joyce's. You may not, you probably won't go through a tragedy like Paul's. But you will go through suffering in this life. And here's the deal is that the answer to the question of how can you have joy is simply to trust in his deliverance. Trust in the win-win in the midst of the lose-lose. And I'm not saying that's easy. It's not. It takes training. It takes time. Before Pastor Chris died, Joyce dealt with parents who had shunned her, a brother who was murdered in Detroit, along with one of his friends, cancer, in fact, she was diagnosed with cancer a month after Chris died, again. And many other tragedies. And she said, I wouldn't have been ready for this one without the others. Mm -hmm. Trust in God was being sharpened and trained and used and strengthened so that way she would be ready to have joy. And suffer. And what is that joy? It's trust in Jesus. And here's the thing is that 
Who knows what can happen in the midst of your suffering? Who knows how your radical trust in Jesus, being trained for years and years, or maybe for the really just the first time, and you just got to hold on, close your eyes, and scream. But your radical trust in Jesus could change someone's life. It could advance the gospel. It could encourage the faith of others. And you can trust in God's win-win, because he won the biggest win ever. He delivered you on the cross. And that sacrifice allows us to trust in him no matter what, in the midst of suffering. So join with me in prayer. And just think on these things and ask the Spirit to open your heart to train and to trust in God's deliverance, no matter what. Because it could change someone's life. Join with me. Father, we come to you now asking for your strength, thanking you for your death and resurrection as the biggest deliverance we will ever have. If anyone is in the midst of tragedy, death of a loved one, a personal ailment that just goes beyond words, I just pray that you comfort them right now. Assure them, God, that you will deliver them. Paul says, um, that your prayer to you because of the spirit of Christ Jesus he trusts that he will be delivered so I pray if anyone is sitting and suffering right now I pray with them and for them that they would have the faith to pray to a God that they might feel abandoned by but that they're not abandoned by that they would have the faith to come alongside with brothers and sisters and ask for prayer simple prayer that Jesus Will you please just turn this out for my deliverance? Father, I pray for the greatest honor of all, that our suffering and our pain would be used to further your gospel, that our radical trust in you would be a big arrow pointing to your son. And Father, I pray that this message would encourage others. Joyce is pain and her resilience and her trust in you would encourage others Father that we would trust you and therefore out of that trust and seeing our trust rewarded that we would rejoice Father you promised to turn our lose-lose into win-win scenarios so we step into joy and peace and love with you Trusting in your grace that you will deliver us. Pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.